Hello and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast, episode 1021. This is my interview with Paul Bloom. We're discussing his new book, The Sweet Spot. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. You've got a, uh, a very interesting uh, new book um, that's just recently been released, The Sweet Spot, The Pleasures and uh, the pleasures of suffering and the search for meaning. So um, I want to delve into this topic, mate. It's a really fascinating one. Um, but just explain us to the premise of this book, in your words. Um, I've long been interested in why we choose to suffer. Yeah. Everything from, um, from sadomasochism to hot baths and saunas to training for a marathon to, um, to going to horror movies to raising children. Why do yeah. we choose to engage in pursuits that are hard, that sometimes hurt us? Uh, and, and this book explores two separate answers. One answer is we do it for pleasure. And I think there's a lot of cases where somewhat paradoxically, the right sort of pain chosen in the right ways could give us pleasure. But the, the, the more general answer and the answer which I'm sort of more excited by is that we often choose to suffer because it's associated with other things we value, like being a good person or having a meaningful life. Right. So on one hand, the, the reason we choose suffering now, yeah, okay, let's just go. One hand, the reason we choose suffering is for the pleasure, but the other reason for you know, creating meaning in life, is that what you're saying, the two contexts? Yep. yep, that's exactly right. When I started writing the book, I was mostly interested in pleasure. I was going to call the book The Pleasures of Suffering. And then as I delved in, I realized a lot of the ways we choose to suffer can't be explained in terms of pleasure. And the book settles on what I call a kind of um, – motivational pluralism that people want many things pleasure is one of them but not the only one hmm. pleasures and meaning this idea of choosing to yeah. suffer is it a choice always oh no i mean there's there's a lot of suffering we get that we didn't choose at all no um you know our, our we get sick our children die horrible things happen and my book is a defense of chosen suffering, that chosen suffering could be wonderful for us. But unchosen suffering is a very different thing. And I know people who argue that unchosen suffering could be good for you. They talk about post-traumatic growth and you know how it makes you stronger. I'm actually pretty skeptical. I think sometimes I the bad stuff that happens doesn't make you a better person. Hmm. Are, you, are you divided on that or are you just on the fence or is it, are you definitely... In the opinion that maybe unchosen suffering is is not good. Well, I'm. <laughs> I think there's all sorts of cases. Life is complicated. There's all sorts yeah. of cases where something terrible can happen to somebody, and they end up a stronger person. You know. Yeah. Um, I tell a story in my book of this guy who was around the Boston Marathon when the terrorists blew it up many years ago. He's severely burned, goes to the hospital. You think that's a bad thing? Yeah, but he met he met a nurse. They fell in love, love of his life, happy ending. This can happen, but there's a few psychologists who think that suffering, just almost as a rule, makes us stronger and more resilient. And when you look closely at the evidence, as I do, it just isn't true. So it could sometimes happen, but it, you shouldn't count on it. Mm. There's a lot of learnings that you can take through the adversity of of those events outside your control, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess it's those learnings that can help you improve upon your life, potentially if you use them correctly, and if you have those learnings. Yep, 
yeah, it definitely, it, it can happen. Um, in fact, a lot of chosen suffering in fiction, when we explore fictions that are unpleasant, when we put ourselves in rough situations and challenge ourselves, are kind of meant to get those learnings, to get that practice without the real risk of the terrible things that happen to us. Uh-huh. And yeah, like, you know, you, you get that example of um, training for a marathon, for example, yeah. or doing a marathon. I did that once, a half a marathon, and it was very painful. I don't know if I had any learnings out of that, or um, <laughs> I guess I had some slight pleasures and of the, you know, the pride and the, the supporting of ego that comes with well, completing well, there something. there you go. I, I bet you found it overall a satisfying experience. I did, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, one of the themes, which is that kind of chosen suffering. You, you put your finger on it. You felt pride. You felt mastery. That's one of the things that chosen suffering does. You feel this control, this command over yourself. That, that is a source of pride. Hmm. Do you think you're... When you choose to put yourself through pain and suffering, you're going to have greater lessons and uh, more positive effects post that suffering than you would if you went through something that wasn't chosen by you? Yeah, I do. I mean, take this example from uh, the theologian C.S. Lewis about fasting. So, you know, suppose you decide to fast. I don't know, you're in some sort of training or you're religious or somebody bet you you couldn't. So you fast for a day. It could be very satisfying. You feel pride in what you're doing. You have control over it. Now, suppose you go for a day because you don't have any food. You're too poor to buy food or you're locked in a cell. Someone stole your food. That's very different. Um, You're suffering, but you can't take pride in it in the same way. You didn't choose this. You know, if I give money to somebody, I could feel satisfied. I'm a moral person. If If he picks my pocket, I don't have the same satisfaction. No. So what you have control over? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Control's really important for this sort of thing. Hmm. So, do we actively go out there every day and try and seek some sort of level of pain and suffering? I mean, does, does it depend on the person and and the upbringing? I guess, but you know, your mileage may vary. Some people, um, some people make this a big part of their lives. Some people less so. Some people like spicy food, some people don't, you know, hot baths, some people die. One thing psychologists can't do is predict what people will, what kind of suffering people will like and what they want. But you know something? Yeah, I think each of us every day probably does some sort of suffering that's willing. That's willing. Maybe you might eat some spicy food that burns your mouth. Maybe you might have a bath that's a little bit hotter than is comfortable. Maybe, um, maybe you see a movie or TV show that makes you cry a little bit or makes you scared. Maybe, maybe you, do, you do a puzzle or something. You do something, a difficult challenge. Nobody makes you do it. It's a crossword puzzle or whatever. Nobody do you struggle at it. You put effort into it. But you find effort itself rewarding. It's not heavy-duty suffering, but it's a bit of struggle that you chose for yourself. Mm. Yeah. I, um, do you think there's a correlation between the people out there that put themselves through more pain and suffering as it relates to success than others? Do you have an opinion on that? The cor- how do you think the correlation would go? Oh, no. I mean, if, if, you're, if we are saying that there's perhaps benefits out of pain and suffering, i.e. Yeah. Um, growth benefits and, and things that can help you learn and, and improve upon the past, then the more that you put yourself yeah. in those pain and suffering, then the benefits will be tenfold to those who don't. I think so. I think, I, I think that there's more than one sort of benefit. One benefit is simple pleasure. People who suffer in a right way could get a lot more fun out of life. 
I think the biggest benefit is well, you gave not, people who suffer in the right way. In the right way. In the right way. Always assume in the right in the right way when we're talking about this. So, so I mean that's that's a really good point there to to jump onto, yeah. isn't it? Like I mean, I what's I what's the wrong way of suffering and pain? What's the right way of suffering and pain? I mean, involuntary suffering is the wrong way, but also people can suffer too much. Yeah. People could destroy their own bodies. People could could become addicted to suffering in an unhealthy way. I guess what I would argue is it's not that you so much that the suffering means you learn this, that, and the other. It's more that um, suffering is part and parcel of any meaningful pursuit. Anything that you'll take satisfaction in, you say, that was a good thing I've done, that, was, that, that mattered, will involve some level of difficulty and pain. You know, there's these studies that ask people how meaningful your life is and how happy your life is. And people who report their lives are very meaningful report their lives have a reasonable amount of anxiety and struggle and difficulty. It was Buddha that said life is suffering, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. Yes, if you if you take it like historically, my book is the least original thing in the world. I mean, everybody, <laughs> every, every religious figure who's taken a crack at this has talked about the centrality of suffering as part of life. Now, Buddha wasn't actually telling us to pursue suffering. He was observing kind of that life sucks. But um, but other religious traditions, you know, value suffering in the right way. Yeah, but I mean, he, he may not have been saying that, I don't know if the Buddha was, you know, I, I guess it can be interpreted that way because pain and suffering, they have negative connotations to it. So perhaps by saying life is suffering, people would go, geez, he's a negative sort of guy. Like, what, you know, what a, what a way to look at life. And maybe he was just making an observation that, hey, you know what, to live a happy life, I've got to live a suffering life or you know what I mean? Like, and that's again, sort of what you're saying, I guess, in your book, maybe, perhaps. To some extent, yeah. I mean, Buddha was very wise over, um, over, over the problems of sort of seeking a happy and perfect life. You know, he talked about impermanence, which is, you know, you just get bored with stuff. You buy, you buy a big screen TV and a really nice car and all of those good things, and they feel really good for a while. But as, you know, but, but life is impermanence, and pretty soon they just, you just lose the happiness and. I think um, I think seeking out seeking out simple pleasures, simple happiness, and instead of a rich, complicated, difficult life, poses all sorts of problems. The rich, complicated, difficult life poses all That's sorts what, of problems. No, sorry, the, the the life of simple pleasure poses all sorts of problems. What do you mean simple pleasures? Like, you know, you can imagine somebody saying, "I'm going to live my life. I have enough money to do so. <clears throat> I'm just going to sort of." get high all the time and sit on my couch and watch TV and, you know, um, engage in sort of meaningless pleasures, never, never work at anything. Yeah. And among other problems, it's actually a pretty bad recipe for happiness. You know, one of the, one of the lessons of psychology of happiness is you ask people, how much do you want to be happy? How hard are you trying to be happy? Turns out that, that people who say I'm trying very hard, I really want it tend to be the least happy of them all. The most happy people aren't trying at all to be happy. They're getting happiness as a byproduct of other things. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. My whole prem, my whole podcast is is really about this 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 drive for finding happiness, and that's where it's that's where it started from. And I guess through talking to people like yourself, it's grown into some level of understanding that happiness isn't isn't a, a goal. It's actually just the pursuit of any goal yeah. in life, and it creates that meaning and. Um, that's why I find this topic so interesting because, you know, if, if happiness is suffering, then how do we then use suffering and pain to 
live a little bit happier every day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's what my book talks about. And it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. Um, there are, there are trade-offs that often come about. So you take the jobs that people find most meaningful. And um, these are jobs like being, uh, you know, uh, uh, being in the military, being a social worker, being an educator, being uh, a minister, and jobs that aren't extremely high status, they don't pay too well, and they're difficult. And um, it seems that, that to some extent in our life, we have to trade off happiness and fun and pleasure with meaning and purpose and a deeper satisfaction. And people, people differ into where they stand on this. You know, there's a sort of balance you have to, to, to do. And, you know, your mileage may vary. People, people have different, different ways they want to settle on this. Mm. Hmm. Is, is there one, um, whether it's uh, the pursuit of the pleasure through pain and suffering or the pursuit of meaning through pain and suffering, is there one, in your opinion, better than the other to, to follow? I think a full life involves both. Yeah. You know, one nothing wrong with pleasures, right? Nothing wrong with pleasures. I'm, this is not an anti-pleasure book. I mean, it did extend, though, that this book is as a sort of a target, something that's arguing against it's people, including psychologists I know, who say humans just, only all we care about is pleasure. We're ultimately just hedonists. Any suffering we go through is just a means to an end. You know, so you, you want to, I don't know, you, you want to live a wonderful life, you have to do a job and work at it. You want to have children, you have to, you know, change your diapers and get up in the middle of the night. But those are sort of the costs. The benefits are just a pleasure. And I think this is mistaken. I think it's a terrible theory of human nature. That, that, and again, I think the religious traditions get it right. We want many things. We do want pleasure, but we also want to be good. We want to have meaning. Maybe some of us have transcendent spiritual values. People are complicated. And if you can find balance to pleasures, there's, uh, it seems like there's never enough. Like you said, you know, you got the TV, you want the bigger TV. Yeah. You know, these, these, but they're, they're sort of materialistic sort of pleasures, I guess. And, and I think in this world that we live in now, lots of people, including myself, we'd be driven by these material items uh, as a way to find pleasure without going through pain or suffering. Now, yes, yeah. you might have to do a job which sucks that you don't want to do to earn some money to buy that big TV. Um, but if you're, if society's made it normal to work in a job that sucks, which it seems to be 85% of the population do, then perhaps you don't realise that as pain and suffering. Um you know, but maybe the lesson here in your book is to say, well, you know, if you really want content happiness from pleasures or meaning, then you need to really understand that the suffering and pain behind the, you know, the things you do. Yeah. And, and that things that are valuable involve suffering and pain. So, you know, take jobs. A lot of jobs do suck and a lot of people hate their jobs and they should. Yeah. They're kind of unsatisfied. They're, they're degrading or unsatisfying. But um, for many people, uh, and, and this isn't just, you know, rich people who have plushy jobs, but, but many people get enormous amount of satisfaction from their work. Um, I draw a lot from the psychologist, Mihaly uh, Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote this book, Flow. Who was that? Uh, uh, his name is Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And it's, it's quite a name. It's a, but he's the founder of the idea of flow. And flow is when you immerse yourself in something and get a satisfaction from falling into it. And, um, you know, you know, you're in a state of flow when 
you know, you, you, you're in, engaged in an activity like you're rock climbing or you're, you're running a musical instrument or you're writing, a, writing an article or something and time goes by and you lose track of it. You forget to eat, you forget to pick the kids up at school. And um, he's talking about flow activities and he's saying now, a lot of people get a flow from work and he has some studies finding that at some level, not for everybody, but for some people, they get actually they enjoy work more than vacation. If you ask them, you know, at random times, how, how much are you enjoying this? They'll still give you a higher rating when they're working than on vacation. Vacation, they're kind of bored and a bit anxious. And work, they could be engaged. And engagement is incredibly important. But mm. engagement, again, requires some degree of difficulty. Yeah, this level of flow, and I'm trying to think back to some of the things that define flow, and that's um, one thing, time, time flies without notice. Yep. Um, you, you lose a sense of self. So you yep, get right. a of selflessness. Um, there's a couple other really key points there. Um, do you remember those? Um, selflessness, uh, time flies. Yeah, so, so it, the idea is that in some way flow states, flow, state, flow states involve a kind of sweet spot. So they're not effortless. They're, um, he says they lie between, you know, if it's too easy, you get bored. You know, we're playing tic-tac-toe and I'm just bored out of my skull. If it's too hard, we get anxious. We're playing three-dimensional chess and my head's exploding and I don't know what I'm doing. But if you find a sweet spot where you're good at something and you're just working on it, it's hard, but you're working on it, that could be your state of flow. And, and you know, I, I read this book a long time ago and this book really influenced my own work and my own life because he has all of these profiles of these people who live amazing lives full of flow. They're athletes, they're musicians, they're, they're poets, there um, are people from all walks of life who spend hours of each day in flow states. And, you know, sometimes my own life, I go a day without a flow state where I'm just hopping from thing to thing and working hard and struggling or enjoying myself. But, but when you find flow, it's amazing. And this is one way. Flow involves an intermediate level of struggle, of difficulty. Do you think we need to find more opportunities to get into some sort of flow? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's, I think again, it's part of a life well lived. Hmm. Hmm. The, um, the flow state, I don't know, does it need to be, um, it doesn't have to be pleasurable, I suppose, but it needs to be no. something that you're somewhat level interested in, curious about, passionate about, you would think? I think so. I think so. It goes back to your, um, I think one ingredient of flow is that um, you're good enough at it to feel a sense of mastery, of agency. You know, if I'm starting off running and I'm incredibly out of shape and I'm just huffing and puffing and everything, it's not going mean, to, I'm not going to fall into sort of a state of flow as I do it. I'm struggling. But mm. when you get better at it, there's a sort of, um, there, there, there's a sort of satisfaction. Yeah. And then yeah. at the same time, maybe paradoxically, you lose yourself. You just, you, you, you lose your sort of self-consciousness. Many of the activities we do in life we're sort of watching ourselves doing it and say, oh, don't screw up and oh, you're looking good, don't worry, or I wonder what people think of you and don't embarrass yourself. A flow state, you don't do that. You just you just engage in the activity. You don't care about anything else that's going on, you're just immersed right there right. in that moment. Right. So do you have anything in your life that fits the bill? Well, it's funny you say that about vacations or holidays, you know, um, to go on I mean, I love traveling and I love holidays and I love exploring mm -hmm. new things, but I find when I'm not in my routine, 
uh, and working because I love, I do love to work. And someone just mentioned, I just had another interview with a guy and said, sometimes it's it's your comfort zone and perhaps yeah. that I'm just comfortable at work. And, you know, to not be in work, I'm uncomfortable and anxiety, yeah. anxious. Um, so that's why maybe I choose work, but I also choose work because I find I get into a sense of uh, flow and meaning and it does give me some sense of pleasure. But I, I have found something that I do enjoy. I do genuinely enjoy doing it, you know. Um, I've got great ownership there and great discipline there and, and that gives me great structure and all of that brings me some level of happiness. We could be uh, we could be separated at birth. I mean, that's 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 kind of where I stand too. At various times in my life, people I love have convinced me not to bring my laptop um, on trips, and I've always regretted it. For me, the perfect vacation is, you know, doing the fun, perfect vacation things. Uh, my partner and I were in Aruba a month ago, but what I did every morning was I got up early, and I worked on my next book, and I spent hours, a couple of hours sitting at the end, and that, that for me is part of a perfect day. Yeah, yeah. You know, but at the same time, I don't mind splashing in the beach either that's also that's also good life includes pleasure as well well it's finding that balance isn't it you know um um and it doesn't have to be always around work either it can be around the health it can be around the relationships and then doing yeah. something i guess rather than just going for a splash on the beach maybe mixing it up that makes it a bit more challenging so you can have that suffering towards the pleasure rather than just sitting there like I, you know sitting idle to me is uh, it's probably a good thing i guess to do that but for me it's just very painful i can't do it yeah I get bored and frustrated. I should be doing something. Um, I don't know. Some people seem to be able to do that maybe, you know, easier. But yeah. it, it doesn't give me much happiness. And, and maybe, I mean, do you think there's there's happiness in that, like for people that can just sit around idly and, and not do much? Or do you think they're actually lacking a lot of meaning? I think probably when they're doing it, if they're napping in the sun uh, and just, in the day go by they're just having a simple pleasure and again you know i think uh, uh it would be bizarre to have a life where you're every minute you're struggling every minute you're sort of facing new challenges and everything sometimes sometimes you may want to lie and get us get a tan sometimes you may want to drink a beer and hang out with your friends that's all good but um and again the sort of pluralism comes in here which is i think a good life contains many things yeah the balance yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the media, I mean, your social media and all these people that want uh, instant pleasure and, and this wonderful life and they, they promote it that way. They, they tap into that, oh, look at these, you know, this guy's living on a beach and that's his life and he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that. But when you actually do it, I don't know, maybe there's, there's a big sense of lacking there in that, in that space. Yeah. Yep, there, there's a cliche, and I actually don't know what the evidence says about this, of people who um, who have rigorous and demanding jobs and lives, and they I can't wait to retire. And then they, they, they make their pile, and then they retire and say, I'm going to play golf all day and, and sit around and hang around with the grandkids. And, you know, and then they're deeply unhappy, stripped away from the normal challenges and social interactions and difficulty of life. It just, it just seems like, like they're gone. Hmm. Yeah, well, you see that often enough, don't you, in, in um, elderly people, I suppose, that have had that yeah. you know, challenging career and now yeah. no longer doing something. And, um, yeah, I mean, I often look at that and go, geez, I'd be bored if I was walking around yeah. my lawn every day trying to figure out what patch I can mow today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's one way to put it. 
and maybe maybe some people uh, you know do find a great sense of pleasure in that but I, I think um again if you haven't found some level of calling or something that you really enjoy doing whether that's community work charity work 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 um maybe that's that's what you have to look forward to but i think if you can find something that you really do enjoy then work should never stop maybe it can just yeah. lessen in intensity but there's, there's a great line from Freud. He, Freud never said it, but it's still a great line. It gets attributed to him. That the two most important things for a, a psychologically healthy person are love and work. And by love, he meant any sort of, you know, romantic relationship or even like any intimate relationship of friendship and or being a parent. And by work, he didn't necessarily mean, you know, you go sit in a desk, but it's a project, what you're calling, what a calling. And if you have both of those, you're golden. Project. Yeah, calling you, you this expression you use. I like that expression. Yeah, I don't know if I like that expression or not, actually, but <laughs> I used it. Um, I know someone said it to me the other day and said, I think you found your calling. I was like, oh, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting observation, but, you know, looking at that, reflecting on it, I was just like, actually, I do really uh, like my spot right now and what I'm doing. I seem yeah. to enjoy it, and, and it doesn't seem too painful to do what I do, um, but maybe I've just become used to that pain so much yep. that, yep. you know, to others they'd probably see, geez, how does he do that all the time? But to me it's just going through a process. And there may be a time when you get too good at it and then it starts getting boring. The challenges go away and then you have to seek new challenges. Yeah, yeah, and I see people, um, you know, people I look up to, mentors and things like that that seem to have gotten to that point and then you can see them changing the way they do things and they're still doing what they do but they're doing attached things onto it sort of thing. Yeah, um, it's, some sort of, it's, it's like somebody doing weight training. At a certain point you add weights. Yeah, just yeah. Just make things harder. Yeah, but that idea of having a project, you know, something to focus on and it can be absolutely anything, that idea of having that in life that's that sense of meaning, isn't it? Yep. yep. It's, it's not about the pleasure. That's the one. sense of meaning. Yeah. You, you, there's, there's no project would fit the bill of what you're talking about unless it involved difficulty, unless it involves struggle. You know, your project. Say that again. There's no. There's no, there's no, no project that would count as meaningful that would fit the bill of what you're saying unless it involves some degree of struggle and difficulty. You know. If your idea of meaning was to eat a candy bar every day, well, it's, that's, that doesn't count. Anybody can do that. It has to be something which is hard. Where it has to have the chance of failure. Right. Well, that's fairly a good good guide for people, isn't it? Yes. Try if, to you, do if you're doing something failing. that doesn't have struggle or, or, or pain or suffering, then it's unlikely to provide any level of meaning and fulfillment in your life. I think that's a beautiful summary of... of, of uh, I think it's I think it's pretty much right. So stop eating those candy bars and figure something else yeah. out to challenge yourself. And that's that's the purpose thing, you know. If you can wake up every day with something that does do that to you, you're going to end the end. You're going to end every day with a great greater feeling and purpose. Yep, yep. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, feeding the poor or taking over a small country or running a <laughs> podcast. I mean, for a lot of people, you know, having kids fits that bill. It's certainly difficult, involves struggle, involves worry and anxiety and expense and, and all of that good stuff. 
And I think that's part and parcel of the reason we look back and those of us who have kids say it's the most important thing in our lives. Mm. Tackle and yeah, that's yeah, interesting. And I think little projects around the house, like learning how to um, make a beehive or, yep. Um, yep. you know, things like that, mowing the lawn yep. maybe. Um, that's right. Whatever it might be. So it's interesting. Um, what, what are the key components of your book? I mean, obviously the pleasure and the, um, and the, the meaning side. When we look at the pleasures and the suffering in relation to pleasures, what are the, the key takeaways from there? What's some of the best research you've put into that section? Yeah, people have asked quite like, how in the world could pain give rise to pleasure? Suppose you suppose you, you, you were listening to this part about meaning and everything. You said, well, that's all nonsense. I don't care about meaning. I just want to have a good time. So how could suffering give rise to a good time? And there's different answers to that. One answer is contrast. So typically when you have an experience, you judge the experience not in terms of its absolute value in some way, but in terms of how it compares to what you were expecting or what you had just experienced. Um, so, you know, sitting at a pub drinking a beer is one thing, but if you just had this incredibly grueling hike and you're exhausted, then it could be amazing, you know? Um, uh, and, and so what we sometimes do is expose ourselves to pain and difficulty in order to increase the payoff at the end. This could be something as elaborate as, you know, a long camping trip or a hike or whatever for the payoff of satisfaction that you did it, and then the contrast later on. But it could be something as simple as ordering chicken vindaloo, ordering something spicy, and feeling the spice, the burn of the spice, and then cooling yourself off with a glass of beer. Mm. Or having a bath that's very hot, sinking into it, like cringing at the heat, and then it cools off and it's blissful. Yeah, yeah. I was in Finland once, and they took me to a sauna. And it just, it just parboils you, it roasts you on the inside, it's terrible. But the way the sauna works is there's a door, you jump in and you jump into a freezing lake. And it's just amazing. Mm. And then you go back and you do it again, you go back and do it again. And then when you're groggy, uh, you, you just get dressed, leave the room, and then they give you like sausages and alcohol. And it's quite the experience. But it wouldn't be quite the experience if it didn't feel at some level fairly unpleasant to have your body roasted from the inside. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be quite as good. No, no, you're right. I lived in Japan for many years and um, the hot springs there yes, was yes. certainly something that I, I got addicted to. Um, yes. And there, there's, there's other answers. I mean, you could get a pleasure, go back to what you said about the marathon training, you can get a pleasure from mastery. So if you put yourself in a difficult situation and surmount it, you get a pleasure from mastery. Sometimes there's, and you mentioned this in the context of flow, one theory of what goes on with BDSM and also intense exercise is a loss of self. So often we have disease, this consciousness where we're constantly have an inner voice in our heads, constantly blabbing on and focusing on ourselves, imagining what we look like to others and sharp, sudden pain makes that go away. Yeah, yeah. And so those are examples of how pain can actually be in some sort of interesting way, a catalyst to pleasure. Well, that's the, um, you know, it does, depending on the activity like I, I swim a lot and swimming I can do quite naturally now where I I, I can still think and I can yeah. everything else carries on it's not quite that painful the, the act of yeah. swimming but now if I focus on swimming and challenge myself to you know swim 10 laps really fast I don't think about anything else I'm in a state of just total focus on that and it's painful 
but the reward at the end is, is a lot better. And that's the same with things like mountain biking, which I've just gotten into. A mate of mine um, said it to me, he said, I've just, nothing else matters when I'm mountain biking. That's why I enjoy it so much. It's painful, but everything else just disappears um, because I'm, I'm looking at that ground, focusing on, you know, what's going to trip yeah. me up. Yeah. Um, and you know, that level I, of... Right? When I write about pain and talking to people about pain, mountain bikers or cyclists in general, they're connoisseurs of pain. Mm. Apparently, like long distance cycling, it's just a, a story of agony, unremitting right. pain. And, okay. uh, but it's good pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good pain. Yeah. Uh, I guess you've got the, the bad pain that leads to uh, pleasures of some sort, but uh, longer term yes. pain that doesn't lead to any further pleasure. Like yes. um, bad pain is when you take a spill off your bike and crack your head or whatever. That's that's. Not oh bad. yeah, or drinking, you know, and taking drugs. Um, yes, there's some pleasure in, in all of that, and that's why people do it. Um, but you know, that sort of pain is is not going to lead to the level of happiness you're talking about. I assume. I think ultimately, kind of anesthetizing yourself doesn't give doesn't scratch it. It's just we want to scratch. It's plainly. <laughs> You know, a useful short-term solution to stress and anxiety, but it's not a good long-term one. Uh, do you think there is some sort of, I guess, depending on the individual, maybe that some people maybe work themselves really hard and that's their reward of release, you know, having a drink at the end of each day? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and perhaps that's not necessarily, you know, that bad a thing if that's your crux. I, I, you know, and there's nothing about my book or Nesmita that's Puritan about these things. I think, I think, you know, a drink at the end of the day or sometimes in the middle of the day could be, you know, a lot of pleasure and really, really nice. Mm. But I don't, um, I think if you build your day around it, that's probably not a good lifestyle decision. No, no. I, I, one of my, um, my former bosses in Japan, actually, um, he was an extremely hard worker. He'd rise early, he'd work early, he'd uh, exercise during the day, he'd come home at the end of the day, um, eat well, and he'd drink. And he wouldn't just have one drink, he'd just drink until he was satisfied. And then he'd rest, you know. Um, but he did that every day. Yeah. Every day, seven days a week. Well, did it work for him? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he's he's got that. But he must. He must just enjoy it. Like he wouldn't do. Yeah. He would struggle to have a, a day off. He'd struggle to have a holiday, you know. And that's yeah. typically a Japanese sort of lifestyle, anyway. Is you know work and and they don't take too many holidays because they keep in some sort of level of continual improvement and, and growth. Maybe yeah. Yeah. you know. Same with the schooling there. They sort of you know always study um, rather than have big long holidays where they just then lose everything they've learned they just continually learn even through the, the summer holidays you know which makes a lot of sense yeah um meaning uh the, the section on meaning is there anything else there that you want to elaborate on no i think we 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 talked about a lot of the a lot of the good stuff um i, I guess you know connecting to the, some of the themes of of your podcast um i don't i think one of the sort of projects that we have to face, you may alluded to this before, is finding meaningful activities. They're not just sort of, there's not like a, an objective answer. Oh, life has this meaning and here's a proper meaningful activity for you. It differs from person to person. And yeah. part of the project of a good life is finding it. Um, you know, some people find it in sports. Some people find it in, in, 
in uh, intellectual activities. Some people even find in social relationships. You know, when, when, when they talk about flow, uh, one of the examples is a good conversation, like with a close friend. You know, a good, like, a, like a, an, an amicable argument. You could be in the middle of it and just kind of get lost in that. And then, you know, time could go by and that could be a flow activity. Yeah, yeah. Like these conversations that we have on the podcast. Exactly. Flow activities. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Mate, I like it. Um, yeah, going to stick the link of the book in the show notes, um, The Sweet Spot. So um, everyone listening out there can, can grab a copy of that book. Um, congratulations. What a what a very interesting topic. Um, certainly up my alley, and I assume most people listening to the podcast will enjoy this as well. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. Is there a um, the best way people can reach you and if they want to connect, do you, are you online? Um, if you Google me, you'll get all my contact info, but uh, but I'm also on Twitter at uh, Paul Bloom at Yale. Okay. Paul Bloom at? Yale. Yale. Okay. Yale. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. We'll stick the links in the show. Thanks so much for coming Thank on, you. Paul. Really appreciate it today. Uh, just thanks for having me on. You're going to start your, start your morning now. I will. I will. Well, yes, well and truly. Um, guys, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon